we learn for some minutes i just want to share some facts can we read for some minutes i just want to share some facts can we read for a minute i just want to share some facts yeah can we learn for some minutes i just want to share some facts can we read for a minute i just want to share some facts Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Daring Dialogues. I am your host tonight, Shantae Charles, and I hope that you're having a great and wonderful day. It is Women's History Month, and if you are just tuning in for the very first time, we have been reading about women, historical, and history-making icons, and from the past, and women who are making history as we live and as we breathe. Um, February, we covered black history icons and we're still walking through um, some black women at this point in the month. So we're going to continue and we are reading from two books, The Fierce 44, Black Americans Who Shook Up the World and A Black Woman Did That, 43 Boundary Breaking, Bar Raising, World Changing Women. So tonight, we're going to start with The Fierce 44, and let's take a look at who we have on tonight. Coming in at number one tonight is Toni Morrison. Why is she a part of The Fierce 44? Because she believed everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has a story to tell, and I wholeheartedly agree. Toni Morrison, novelist who lived from 1931 to 2019. Toni Morrison, the daughter of a welder and a domestic worker, said her parents gave her a love for reading. She grew up to be one of the greatest writers in history and was the first African-American to win the Nobel Prize in Literature. Morrison taught English to college students for several years before moving to New York, where she worked as one of the few Black women at the upper levels of a book publishing company. She helped promote the work of Black writers and was one of the primary editors of The Black Book, a path-breaking 1974 collection of photos, songs, posters, and drawings that documented the joy and pain of the Africans brought to America and the generations that followed them. Now, I actually have a reprint of the of the Black Book that I purchased a couple of years back, and uh, if we have some time tonight, I'll go ahead and grab it for you so you can see what it looks like. Morrison also wrote her own novels, which told the stories of African-American characters, especially women, struggling to find their way in a racist society. Her first novel, The Bluest Eye, was about a dark-skinned girl who thought her life would be better if she could have blue eyes. Her 1977 novel, Song of Solomon, became the first work by an African-American author in almost 40 years to be featured selection of the Book of the Month Club. 
Another novel, Beloved, won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and was turned into a movie starring Oprah Winfrey. It is based on the true story of a runaway slave who, about to recaptured, about to be recaptured, kills her infant daughter rather than have her live as a slave. In 2012, Morrison was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Barack Obama. So we can definitely say she was given her roses while she yet lived. Now, coming in at number two tonight is Sojourner Truth, abolitionist and activist. Sojourner Truth lived from 1797 to 1883. She is featured in the Fierce 44 because of a famous speech amid a lifetime of activism. Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth is most famous for words she may never have spoken. A traveling preacher who advocated for women's rights and abolition, Truth gave a speech at the Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio in 1851 calling for equal treatment of black women. That man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. Well, nobody ever helps me into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. And ain't I a woman? The message was powerful, but it's unlikely the words are exactly hers. They come from a version published years after the event using stereotypical Southern dialect. Truth, however, grew up in New York and Dutch was her first language. Regardless, Truth became famous. Her memoir, The Narrative of Sojourner Truth, A Northern Slave, was published in 1850 and she toured and spoke before large crowds. She was the ninth child in an enslaved family and escaped as an adult with her own infant daughter. Born Isabella Baumfrey, she gave herself the name Sojourner Truth after becoming a Methodist. During the Civil War, she helped recruit black troops for the Union Army, which granted her the opportunity to speak with President Abraham Lincoln. Truth died in 1883 at her home in Battle Creek, Michigan. Four decades later, the constitutional amendment extending the vote to women was ratified. Coming in at number three this evening is Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey is a media mogul and philanthropist. She was born in 1954 in Kosciusko, Mississippi. When the Oprah Winfrey show started broadcasting nationally in 1986, it turned television, especially the daytime talk show, into something new. For starters, had she gotten into the television business only 10 years earlier, the Mississippi-born Winfrey wouldn't have been let anywhere near the set. She was not white, blonde, thin, or male. Winfrey's superhero talent was getting people to really like her and relate to her. The way she confessed her own weaknesses made self-help feel modern and chic. And she didn't inspire just black people. Women of all races eagerly joined her movement to live your best life, which was the title of one of her books. Winfrey used her position as host of one of the longest running daytime talk shows in television history to become a multimedia phenomenon. She is the owner of a cable TV network. She's a movie actress and a Broadway musical producer. She started a book club that made instant bestsellers. She's helped launch the careers of numerous television hopes and hosts and self-help gurus, including Dr. Phil, 
Ayala Van Zant, Dr. Oz, Susie Orman, Nate Burkus, Rachel Ray, Bob Green, and Gail King. Since the debut of O, the Oprah magazine, in April 2000, she's been on the cover of every issue, making her one of the most influential cover, cover models in magazine publishing history. She chose to use the image of her own self. Her early endorsement of Barack Obama helped him to win the Democratic Party nomination for president. She is the first African-American female billionaire. Her generosity, especially for educated endeavors, is legendary. Winfrey funded a girls-only private school in South Africa, which is still going, and scholarships for hundreds of students at Morehouse College. In 2011, she won an Academy Award for her international humanitarian efforts. She turned a talk show into a self-help movement, getting people to recognize their own choices and their own power. Now, moving on to our second book, A Black Woman Did That. These biographies are a little bit more detailed. Tonight, we start with Mary Fields. Before email and the internet, before plane routes and train lines connected cities to towns, people hand-delivered each other direct messages. They slipped handwritten letters into paper envelopes that were carried by people traveling on horses or in wagons. Mail carriers dodged thieves, galloped across cliff sides, and faced tornadoes, snowstorms, raging waters, and muddy terrain in order to do their job. The historical image of these male characters, carriers, is a lot like the fearless gunslinging cowboys in movies. But imagine this, at least one of these male carriers in the late 1800s was a black woman by the name of Mary Fields, also known as Stagecoach Mary. Born around 1832 in the South, she lived all of her childhood and young adult life enslaved. She was in her 30s in 1863 when the Emancipation Proclamation ended legal bondage in much of the South. Once liberated, she worked her way north on Mississippi River boats. She found work as a groundskeeper at a Catholic convent in Toledo, Ohio. Both well-spoken and outspoken, she'd even argue with the nuns that she worked for. Excuse me. By speaking up for herself, she managed to get better pay for the work that she did. She was not well liked in the convent except by Mother Amadeus, who was a leader in that religious community. In 1884, Mother Amadeus left the convent to go west to Montana Territory, where she felt there was greater work to be done. A year later, after Mary learned that Mother Amadeus was very sick, she went to her in Montana. Mary was a woman who behaved in ways associated with men. She spoke her mind, she drank whiskey, she smoked cigars, she wore men's style clothing and didn't run away from a fight. Consequently, she was fired from her job at the convent in Montana, but Mary was not defeated. She was confident enough to accept a job delivering mail. She used a stagecoach given to her by Mother Amadeus to deliver mail between St. Peter's Mission, Cascade, Montana. While working her route, she became known by many names like Stagecoach Mary and White Crow, a name given to her by friends in the Blackfoot and Blackfeet Nation. All accounts describe her as a tall woman wearing a skirt and apron or trousers and skilled at using the firearm that was always by her side. 
Mary moved about like a free woman. She was warm and generous, especially to children. She was memorable. Tammy Charles, the author of the book called Fearless Mary, wrote, The stagecoach is usually guarded by one person, the driver. To do the job, you need to be smart, tough, and unshakable. As a former enslaved person who traveled to the West alone to seek opportunity, Mary feels it's all of those things. She also described the dangers of the job. Outlaws prey on stagecoaches which carry valuable supplies, money, and food. Wild animals prey on them as well. Mary braved the weather and covered her route, often alone, in her horse-drawn wagon, responsible for other people and their property. She had to protect herself from animals and humans who might mean her harm. There are no videos, of course, of Mary riding across the rugged landscapes. There are no recordings of her greeting the many people she must have met. But we know she survived her journeys and lived to be around 82 years old. Toward the end of her life, historians say her temper cooled. She spent time in her garden and became a dedicated baseball fan. She gave flowers to neighbors and players who hit home runs and became a beloved member of the Cascade community. Though it can be difficult to separate the true events of her life from the lore about her, it's clear that Mary made an impression in her time. A few photographs of Mary still exist, and historians have documented her story of courage, freedom, and achievement. She left her mark in American history as a woman who did extraordinary things to transcend the horrors of the time and live as a self-determined Black woman. Many sources say that Mary once held back an entire pack of wolves with just her instincts and a rifle. And here's an illustration of Mary Fields. Coming in at number five on tonight is another living icon, Cassie Hughes. Growing up in Nebraska, Kathy Hughes' favorite thing to do was listen to the radio. As a young woman in the mid-1960s, she was also motivated by a desire to, to tell the stories of Black people from their point of view. Fortunately for her, her hometown had a newspaper, the Omaha Star, and a radio station, KOWH. These Black-owned media companies gave Kathy opportunities to gain work experience at an early age. She sold ads for 10 cents a word for the Omaha Star while still a teen and got a job at the radio station when she was just 21. Kathy thought for a short time that her path to fulfilling her dream of having a career was derailed when she got pregnant at 16 and married her boyfriend. Rather than thwarting her ambitions, being a mother gave her a new motivation to continue pursuing her dream. The marriage lasted only a couple of years, but during that time, she completed high school and took some business courses. While working at KOWH, she met Tony Brown, a dean in the communications department at Howard University in Washington, D.C. He was so impressed with her drive that he offered her a job at the university. In 1973, she moved to the university's radio station, WHUR, and two years later, she was the station's vice president and general manager. While there, Kathy developed a new programming concept. The playlist she chose consisted of rhythm and blues ballads, the kind of slow romantic songs that appealed to black listeners at the time. The radio station moved from number 35 to number three in the ratings, an accomplishment that movers and shakers in the radio industry could not ignore. 
She called the new format The Quiet Storm. It was wildly popular among listeners and eventually played on nearly 500 stations nationwide. Kathy briefly worked at the country's first 24-hour gospel radio station, WYCB, in Washington, D.C., before getting married again and launching Radio One Incorporated with her husband, Dewey Hughes. In order to get their company started, they planned to buy the radio station, WOL. But when they attempted to get a business loan, they were told no 32 times before they finally got a yes. The marriage did not last, but the 24-hour talk show format they created was a winner. Kathy had long had the intention to provide Black audiences through radio with knowledge and discussion that was meaningful to them, something the mainstream media neglected to do. After the marriage ended, she bought out Dewey's shares in the radio station and took the lead. Kathy went through a lot to keep her dream alive. At one point, she and her young son moved into the radio station in order to keep expenses down. I stayed focused on not losing my company and did whatever it took, she said. I was willing to let everything go except my son and my business in that order. When she needed to economize, she became on-air talent and her station's biggest star. On her hit talk radio show, The Kathy Hughes Show, she interviewed leaders and innovators in the African-American community. Kathy's son, Alfred Liggins III, joined Radio One full-time in 1985 and 12 years later became CEO of the company. Together, the mother and son team expanded the company, buying up other radio stations and creating the empire Urban One Inc., which includes 56 radio stations, a cable TV network called TV One. Kathy remains the face of the brand and a leader in her industry. She is a role model who has broken through glass ceilings and leapt over barrier after barrier. In 2018, she commented that she still saw an industry largely led by white men. She says that African Americans and women cannot wait for the industry to change. We must be the change as we have been so many times in the past. If the current leaders of the industry do not offer you a seat at the table, she says, you'll just have to create your own, which is exactly what I'm doing with Black Table Talk. And if you have not been over there, Make sure you check us out on Facebook. We are 30, 32,000 strong. So, yeah, I'm with Kathy Hughes on that. And tonight, our last reading is coming from somebody that I had not heard about, but I'm glad to be able to introduce her on this platform on tonight. Her name is Glory Edom. E-D-I-M. Glory Edom has been a well-read black girl for as long as she can remember. Her mother began teaching her to read years before she went to a regular school. And Glory and her brothers went to the public library most days of the week. That's where they did their homework and where they explored, wrote stories, and made up plays. She credits libraries for teaching her about community building for cultivating a sense of belonging and understanding that things could be shared in a way that built more than just community, but kinship and family. Both of Glory's parents were born in Nigeria, but they spent most of their married life in Arlington, Virginia. After her parents divorced when Glory was in the sixth grade, her dad returned to Africa where Glory would visit in the summer. Divorce is hard on everyone in a family and her experience was no different. 
She learned to navigate her ups and downs in part by digging into good books. While Glory was in college, her mother was not in good health. Unable to lean on her mother or heal her, Glory found comfort in the works of great black writers. In her mind, she walked in the shoes of the characters these writers created and found herself feeling nourished and revived. After she finished her studies at Howard University and went out into the working world, she missed the moral support and encouragement she had enjoyed at an HBCU. Glory turned to literature to lift her up when the, when the corporate work world tore her down. She has said in interviews that women writers such as Tony K. Bambara, Bell Hooks, and Audre Lorde helped shape her own sense of self-worth. Reading became so much a part of her daily practice that her longtime boyfriend surprised her with a gift. A custom t-shirt printed with a list of her favorite authors and the nickname, Well-Read Black Girl. Every time Glory wore it in the gym around her Brooklyn neighborhood anywhere, it sparked conversation with others about how much they loved those authors too. It occurred to Glory that people were hungry for more than just reading books they could relate to. She realized that people also wanted to talk with others about what they read. So in 2015, she launched the Well-Read Black Girl Instagram account to build a community of like-minded people. It took off so well that she decided to host an in-person book discussion around a single title. For the first meeting, the group read Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. The first gathering of the Well-Read Black Girl Book Club drew a small but enthusiastic group. Next, she picked The Star Side of Bird Hill. This debut novel by Naomi Jackson was taking the literary community by storm, and Naomi was there in person to join the discussion. Glory likes to promote great writers who are at the beginning of their career. Same for me. The established writers, she has said, are the foundation, but what does the next generation look like? How can we uplift that? For the next two books, she chose a novel by Angela Flournoy and a memoir by Margot Jefferson. The regulars attending the book club grew to 30 people or more. Glory's brand was on the rise, and she grew it even more when she put readers and writers in the same room. In November 2017, she hosted the first annual Well-Read Black Girl Festival. The event drew 300 people who came to see A-list authors, including Jacqueline Woodson, Renee Watson, Nick Stone, and Tayari Jones. By the end of 2019, the group's social media following blew up to nearly 350,000 followers. Glory created a space where Black women readers can come together with each other and with brilliant writers whose work has sometimes changed their lives. In the process, she has become a recognized leader in the literary world. She has also edited a collection of essays and interviews herself. Well-read Black Girl, Finding Our Stories, Discovering Ourselves came out in October 2018. So that is very inspiring to me because I feel like I'm on a similar path, except that the conversations that I want to have are not just tied to Black women, but they are tied to Black people and humanity in general, all across the globe. I believe that reading is a powerful tool that can bring minds together. One of my favorite quotes um, is actually an anonymous quote, and it says this. It says, life-changing ideas have always come to me through books. 
And so um, as we continue to read this month, as we continue to look at uh, women across this month who are doing wonderful things, who are breaking barriers, who are making history, who are changing the trajectory, not only of their life, but the life of everybody else attached to them. I want you to be thinking about what books have transformed your life. What books have changed your life? What books have made you go in a different direction because you read something or you heard something and it registered with you and it provided a life-changing and transformative change? Reach out to me and let me know what that is. I would be glad to share your thoughts with our audience. This has been another episode of Daring Dialogues, and I've been your host tonight, Shantae Charles. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness, so continue to go out and be light. Take care, and God bless.